Hey, Tim. Hey, Ash. Welcome back to Breaking the Fourth Wall, where we engage in stimulating conversations about ways that we can promote positive change in musical theater. We want to thank everyone that messaged us and reached out to us after last week's episode about missing the puzzler, Tim. They were so, <laughs> they were ready for it, right? I know. I got so many people that were like, we love the episode. We just missed the actual puzzler. And that, uh, for many people, that was their favorite part. So of course, we have to bring it back this week. Absolutely. We will make sure that we have it every episode, no matter whether we're interviewing somebody else or it's just you and I. But today, it's just you and I, Tim. That's it. You want to get us started with the first the puzzler this week? Absolutely. So what musical was inspired by Bizet's opera entitled Carmen, and it was reset in the American South and featured a cast composed entirely of black actors? Mm, mm-hmm. I have a feeling this is going to lead us into our topic today. <laughs> it kind of addresses some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. But we'll okay. come back. We'll circle back at the end of this episode, and we will discover that answer together. Wonderful. You know, when we were prepping for this episode, we wanted to make sure that this season we were talking about relevant topics in musical theater, even if they were going to be somewhat controversial. Something that we're very passionate about is teaching musical theater history, talking about it. And so I wanted to ask you, Tim, how do you feel right now about reflecting on golden age in 2021? Just an overall viewpoint first. Sure. Um, it's it's a tricky question, uh, primarily because I still feel like it's important to talk about and to address the history and the legacy of the American musical, uh, especially in the 40s and the 50s. But I think we need to alter the way we approach our dialogue about the importance of these shows. First off, can you just explain in your word, in your idea, in your your words, what do you, how do you, how would you explain to somebody that maybe doesn't know what we're talking about when we say golden age? What does that mean in musical theater? So the golden age, uh, I don't necessarily agree with the term golden age. I'm putting my hands in quotes. Uh, I think (laughs) it was a term uh, that was coined by a specific populace of people and, uh, I think there are some very important components and aspects that make uh, the decades of the 1940s and the 1950s really important. So if if we're defining it, basically it is a prolific period in musical theater history that encompasses a time frame roughly between the earliest part of the 1940s and the earliest part of the 1960s. So we're looking at basically the 40s and the 50s. And, be, and in that time, to give credit where credit is due, there was a tremendous amount of innovation going on within the the writing style and the choreographic style and the music writing style uh, of these musicals. Uh, We have shows like Oklahoma, which really is considered the first show to usher in that age of the golden age, uh, you know, which, which addresses uh, the integration, the seamless integration of music, dance, and acting all moving the plot forward. And we look at shows like, like Fiddler on the Roof, you know, we talked is widely accepted as kind of the last show that kind of closes the curtain on that age of that kind of writing of musical. Because right after that, we get shows like Cabaret and Kander and Ebb come onto the scene and really kind of explore and, and experiment with form. So we're really looking at that time period between the 1940s and the 1950s. Now, I think what is so frustrating to me as a woman in this industry is that when we talk about the golden age, everybody says the first thing, right? Oklahoma, Carousel, Mm -hmm. Rogers and Hammerstein. And no one really starts talking about the people from the global community, people Mm -hmm. of color, women, all of these other artists and musicals that 
occurred during that time period because they're not the ones that are generally spoken about. And I feel like we've gone down this path of we are, have been teaching what we have been taught for so many decades mm-hmm. that we need to rethink everything and not just teaching as as academics and as coaches and teachers. We really need to, as artists in this industry, start to talk about the other parts of musical theater. And this is where we're starting with today. So now that we kind of have an idea of how people you know, think of the golden age, why do you think we put so much of an emphasis on it in our training and in, in our careers? I think that up until now, most of us, whether we are an actor or we are an educator, have been taught by the previous generations that this was the most important and prolific period in musical theater history, and that we always have to have a Golden Age song in our book because there is a huge amount of shows, especially within the regional theater circuit, that are produced that we should be auditioning for, which is true to some extent. But I want to kind of, I guess, ask you and and open up a larger dialogue with those listening. Should we actually be talking about these musicals in 2021, seeing as they are so problematic in terms of their treatment of the global majority, their treatment of women, the narratives, the stories? I personally don't have a tremendous amount of passion for wanting to direct these kinds of shows, primarily on the premise that I just think that they're highly problematic. I agree with you. And I have in my career, I haven't worked on in any aspect, really a lot of golden age musicals. The most recent one I did was My Fair Lady. And I got to tell you, watching that, going through that rehearsal, it was a great experience. But seeing that story unfold and telling that story, it just never sat with me right. And especially as a woman, especially as a woman. And I, it's nothing against the production. I thought the production was great. I thought everyone was wonderful. It was a wonderful union production and with a great team. I just, it, there's something, it just bothers me. It's like carousel. And we saw the revival, you know, everybody was wonderful in it. And I want to always make sure that we're, we're also talking about the folks that are off stage, mm-hmm. the creative team, the design team, the folks that are backstage in the booth. Oh, it was absolutely stunningly beautiful Stunning. to look at. But man, was that hard to watch mm-hmm. the idea again that we are still now telling stories on stage that don't reflect you know us as human beings anymore because we don't treat people like that and if you do there are consequences and then you know, the musical everything's all great and everybody walks away and you know why i think we still do these and why we still take the jobs and why we still show up is because not only is it a paycheck and we get to do what we love doing, however you are involved in in theater, but most of the customers that are paying for these shows, <laughs> like we saw at Carousel and the Revival mm-hmm. on Broadway, are folks that can afford these big tickets. And or belong to a specific demographic. Absolutely. There was a very specific demographic in that theater and it was very uncomfortable. So we have to find a way to change that. I I always hate it when people are like, well, every season has to have all the golden age musicals because, you know, the people that can afford it, they're the ones showing up. Well, we have to have a quote classic yes. in the season. Yes. Why? And why is that a classic? Why can't a classic be, you know, something that's not written in, in the 40s? I, I think we're switching now because 
classics now are not even classics. <laughs> They're like shows we don't want to do. If you ask any 21-year-old now what their idea of a classic, they'll say Les Mis. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they'll say those mega musicals from the 1980s, which if we're being honest, that's for the, for their for that generation, that is their classic, you know? Uh, and so I just feel like I feel like the term the golden age is an archaic term that needs to be removed and it needs to be changed. I'm saying that I know that's a very controversial statement. I actually have removed the term the golden age out of my teaching practices and I call it Broadway 1942 to 1963 or something like that. I hey, love I, that. I, I'm so glad and I, I love hearing you when I hear you teach because we're all working from home right now. I know. I think that's a great answer to the problem that we've also had with dividing everything into a category with a title. Oh my gosh. Well, and who is it golden for? Right, right. It's golden for a very specific populace of people. It's not golden for uh, women who are trying to tell stories about women empowerment. It's not golden for the global majority whose stories, whose narratives have been created by white Eurocentric ideologies. It is, it is really golden for a very specific demographic of people. And Absolutely. I take issue with that. And I guess this kind of maybe catapults us into the next part of our conversation, which is why do we even address this? And if we are, how do we make the golden age a teachable lesson for the future generation so that we don't repeat mistakes of the past? Well, my I think that's a great question, Tim. My response is, do we even need to do them as a, we're, let's first talk about academics, then let's talk professional, right? Sure. Do we even need to do them as a teachable moment? Like, do we need to do, do you need to do Oklahoma again? Even if you flip it upside down, like they did in the revival, do you need to do carousel? Do you need to do my fair lady? Do you need to do the music man? How, what is that teaching those students? And also if any, if any educators are out there, ask your students what the pulse of their interest is about doing these musicals that are from these specific decades in time, you're probably going to get a very specific answer. And that will be very telling. I think it's really important that our students are doing theater and creating theater that speak to the moment. And, and I just don't know if the musicals from the 40s and 50s specifically as a whole do that. Now, I think there are some. Yes, there are some that out there that I think you can really do some interesting conceptualized work with. But I think it's a harder sell when it comes to the academic arena to get your students on board because they want to do shows that f speak to their essence and speak to their hearts. Right. That they they know the stories or they understand or they can connect to that music. Now, with that being said, does that mean we shouldn't teach it? Does that mean we shouldn't, you know, you have a semester of styles, right? And mm -hmm. you teach, you have to work on a golden age song. So you understand the style of that. Does that mean you need to do an entire musical that is going to not only offend people, but that's going to create this narrative, a continuation of it. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. If you're going to do a golden age musical in an academic arena, whether it's K through 12 college, you know, whatever training it is, why can't you do a show in the same idea or concept mm -hmm. that is, has a classic feel to it that has been more recently created and produced. So like a contemporary musical that maybe is written musically and creatively uh, from a from a playwriting perspective in the pastiche of a classic musical. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And a lot of a lot of people do golden age musicals because of the the vocal line, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's very legit. I mean, there's so much music out there right now that people are writing 
that are still utilizing. I mean, look at Bridges of Madison County, right? Mm-hmm. It still has that vocal line, a soprano line. I mean, I just feel like there's so more, there are so many other options out there that we haven't navigated because it is not, we're not familiar with it. That's right. my thought. And I've spoken to a lot of colleagues of mine uh, in the academic sphere across the country. And I've asked the very question, I said, "Are you? why even do a golden age or a classic musical? And many of them will say, well, the administration says we have to do something classic at some point in our season, whether it's this year or the following year. And that's a big challenge because I feel like then the administration is kind of stuck in a pattern uh, that necessarily is not moving the needle forward. And so that's a tough sell because I think it's something that we really have to to combat in the academic arena is informing the administration, the people that are <laughs> funding our, our our collegiate productions or giving the final say uh, once we've gone through season selection committees. Uh, I just think that we need to push back with our administration and say, do you understand by by telling these narratives and these stories, we are actually marginalizing a huge population of our students. And uh, and I, I think it's causing harm and trauma that we, that we don't need to cause. If we think about this now on the opposite end in the professional arena or, you know, community theater, all the other mm-hmm. theater that's done outside of academia, isn't it the same thing? Isn't it the same idea and concept now that we need to push back and say, producers, directors, we know you want to direct another production of The Music Man, another, but can please, no, we don't want that. Ask your audience and ask the community and push back to the people that are in power that are spending the money. That's my Mm -hmm. feeling as well. And it's funny that you bring up The Music Man because, you know, just prior to uh, the shutdown of everything, The Music Man was slated to return to Broadway with starring Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster. Foster. And I can only imagine now what the response may be like in its return or if they're really thinking about whether or not they should actually produce this work given everything we've been through in the past year. I have not heard anything about, I mean, you know, in the news and they, uh, last I heard that was planning on going forward, but who knows? I haven't heard mm-hmm. any inside scoop yet. I also wanted to, I also wanted to um, mention one thing about these musicals that I think it's, if we are going to approach them, looking looking to people who are actually taking the work, reconceptualizing it in the professional arena and giving it a fresh look. And with permission, hopefully, readjusting the narratives so that they are more in tune and aligned with where we are as a society today. You know, look at that revival of Oklahoma. Uh, many people, it was kind of on either sides of the spectrum. They either loved it or they hated it. But you you can't deny the fact that they really took a new turn with that show, gave it a new look, gave it a modern sensibility. Um, also looking at uh, that production that Kathleen Marshall was scheduled to direct, Unsinkable Molly Brown. Yes, with Beth Malone. And they were going to basically... They did. They did start. They did start it. I don't know if it actually ran. It ran for a little bit. Or it was off Broadway, right? Yeah, it was, it was off Broadway, to I think. Maybe transfer to Broadway. But they basically kept one... I, I remember watching an interview with Beth, uh, Beth Malone. She said, was Beth Malone? Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, where she said, yeah, we pretty much deleted everything from the script except for one line and then rewrote it in a, in a new <laughs> image. 
So again, there's another example of reconceptualizing a classic musical to fit a more modern sensibility. So there are artists out there, directors out there that are really looking at ways we can reapproach these shows. I think Diane Paulus was getting was preparing to do 1776 76 with a, a female female cat yeah. identifying cast all reimagined. So it's mm-hmm. it's happening out there, but I think that's your approach. You have to really look at it and ask yourself as a director as a choreographer, as a creative, as a producer, is the show, is the underlying message current, relevant to where we are as a society today? And how can we take something that has been quote quote unquote dated in terms of time, location, and place and give it a modern sensibility? Instead, also, what if we think about other than just, let's find that golden age musical for our (laughs) season, right? What Instead of that, can we find a musical that is hasn't been done on a big stage, a new work, um, something that can be workshopped that is maybe a little more budget friendly for us that helps these artists out that it's not making it to the big stages and getting funding and getting produced because it just needs some more tender love and care. Why can't we look for those instead of referring back to the same old, same old shows that we've all seen a thousand times? That's, I want to see that. I want to see that changed in 2021 or 2022, whenever we can really get back to being on the stage and being in the theater, instead of going back to the way it was before. So I really like this, the not so golden age term that well, you it's, chose. It's, to me, it's not a golden age. Again, for, for people who have been marginalized for so long, it is not a golden age. It is a time period, it is a prolific time period. And I'm going to give credit where credit is due that there are major advancements in the construct of the musical that occurred between the 40s and 50s. But again, golden age, you're generalizing that it was great for everyone, and it was not. It was actually a very, very, very difficult time to be a performer, uh, to be a creative of color, to be a woman in the 40s and 50s. And if I recall correctly from my notes in my MT history class, there was between the 40s and 50s, there was not one single composer, lyricist, director, or creative that had the opportunity to have their work of color, sorry, that had their opportunity to have their work produced. That would be a really good trivia. We're going to have to look into that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would not doubt it. And that's I, I horrible. Know, I'm, I'm pretty certain it's at least composer and lyricist. Even if you look at it now, we're talking that was, you're talking about the 1940s, right? Mm-hmm. Think about it now. We're in two, we, we, last Broadway shows we saw were, you know, last year, we didn't even see shows last year because everything closed in two March. Two years ago. Yeah. So really ideally two years ago. And I will never forget going, and I'm so aware when I open a playbill now, and I'm like, man, 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 oh, almost all mm-hmm. white, you know, and you have to dig and then you find like a stage manager mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I hope that that's uh, somebody from the global community or a woman. It looks like it. I don't really know. You can't judge somebody by, you know, their name or their appearance. But I'm like, please. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's horrible. And it still hasn't changed. And that's the 1940s to now 2021. So in, in in actuality, it was a better time in the 20s and 30s to be a person of color on Broadway or even in vaudeville or entertainment period than it was in the 40s and 50s. It actually took a step backwards. You know, we had a show in 1920s with Shuffle Along uh, that just made such a huge statement. You think something like that would have become the norm and would have celebrated uh, what um, what the global majority can do and sell and and offer to the entire industry, but. This, for some reason, we we took 10 steps backwards in the 40s and 50s. So I'm going to stand by my statement. 
it is not the golden age. It is the not so golden age to me. I support you on that, Tim. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody else out there does. And if they don't, we are gladly, we're, we'd be glad to open up a dialogue because that's what this is all about, a dialogue and a conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's why we go on Clubhouse every single week as well. So it's a conversation that we can have. Let's wrap around back now to that puzzler answer, Tim, and then we can kind of talk about why, why you chose this one for today. Sure. So the puzzler is, what musical was inspired by Bizet's opera entitled Carmen? and was reset in the American South and featured a cast composed entirely of black actors. You just gave it away. You said, oh, no, you didn't. You said, you said the opera was Carmen. <laughs> it's partially, yeah. Uh, and the answer is Carmen, Carmen Jones. Jones. Carmen Jones' 1943 Broadway production and uh, lyrics and uh, book by Oscar Hammerstein II. And the music is uh, by Bizet. Uh, the original Broadway production starred Muriel Smith in the title role of Carmen Jones, and there was a 1954 film adaptation as well, and most recently, a 2018 off-Broadway production at Classic Stage Company. And the reason I chose it is because it speaks volumes to narratives of people of color being told through a Eurocentric lens, which was very common, especially among the Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals. You look at Carmen Jones, Oscar Hammerstein II, but also looking at The King and I, Flower Drum Song, South Pacific, all of these shows, which in the viewpoint of Rodgers and Hammerstein are combating racism in their own way. But what they're actually doing is marginalizing the global majority by not authentically communicating their story, their music, and their culture, or providing a space for people from that culture to be represented within the creative team and their songwriting team or the, or the book writing team. So this is a very common thing during the quote unquote golden age where narratives from the global majority are being told by Eurocentric points of view with and minimal research. Absolutely. And do you believe we're still seeing this in in 2020 and 2021? Actually, 2018, 2019, how, are we still seeing that now? Because I, I think we are. Yes. And it, while it may be a little bit uh, less apparent, where you're seeing it is in the producers. And the entire creative team. How many times have mm -hmm. we seen a show that is about, you know, a, 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 sh a story that is not just a, a woman's story, but a story that is um, uh, somebody from the global community or a specific culture, and the team are mostly all white men. And that's something as a director that I am very hyper aware of now, especially if I have a passion to direct a specific kind of show that communicates a specific kind of story that is maybe other than my culture or other than uh, my identity, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to surround myself with people from that culture or identity that can inform the work and inform the actors even more. Well, it would be like when you um, directed the play that you did that was bilingual. It would be like if you were directing that and you were not somebody from the Latinx community. Correct. You can direct it. I don't, I don't personally have an issue with you directing it, but you better have someone that is on your side that is informing and giving advice and mentorship and helping guide the authenticity of the Latinx experience. Anyway, that's my two cents about, uh, about the golden age. 
And um, I welcome any comments. Uh, anybody wants to wants to engage in a more profound conversation about the 40s and 50s musicals, I'm happy to talk about them. I will link all of our socials in the show notes. You can always reach out to us via our email address. And then, of course, you can find us in the clubhouse every single week for a post-show discussion on Thursdays. All right. Have a wonderful week, everyone. <laughs>